Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Networth Podcast, where we talk all things WTA and handicapping the WTA. As always, I'm Noops, and joined by my favorite, our favorite, Sacramentoan, Sacramentite, I don't know, person that lives in Sacramento. How's it going, Spread? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing today? I'm, I'm pretty good. So what do they call a person from Sacramento? Are you a Sacramentite, a Sacramentoan? What do you I think, think of yourself as? Sacramentans. Yeah. That's very interesting. Well, it's good to have you here with us, and we're especially excited today because finally we have the fantastic return of our favorite person north of the border. Welcome back, Jorge. Hey, guys. It's good to be back. It's right. So, uh, how are you feeling this morning? I know we were uh, up watching the soccer game bright and early. Um, Tottenham was playing Arsenal, and uh, I think your team did pretty okay. Yeah, if we had a dis- dis- uh, this discussion at halftime, it would uh, be a much different tone. I'm uh, pretty excited, and it's always nice to beat a, uh, the biggest rival your club has. And, uh, do you know what I mean? That's for John Joe, across the way in, the, in England there. I know you had him on recently. It was quite a lot of fun, and he, and he was disappointed that you weren't there. So I think at some point we'll have to get you both on and really just let you guys have at each other. And by oh, some man. point, we mean soon. <laughs> So I thought it'd be good for us. I, I know it's the off season, um, you know, not anything too specifically tennis related to talk about at this point, but I thought it'd be good to circle up, talk a little bit about our handicapping processes. Um, I know all three of us approach things a little differently. I know um, my handicap is more data driven. I think spread, you know, yours is um, more on kind of uh, watching and experience and understanding the players. If I had to guess, Jorge, you're kind of in between, but we'll get into our processes a little bit and talk about um, you know how each of us evaluate a match. I think it'll be good, really, actually, even for me to hear how you guys kind of go through things. Um, but I think the listeners will really appreciate that. And then I also thought it would be fun uh, for those of you that have been following the WTA Twitter account. They've been doing these videos basically uh, where they have a lot of the players do a basically a spelling bee uh, with each of the players' last names. So I thought it would be fun to dive in and basically challenge Fred and Jorge with. I gave them a little bit of warning, but my guess is there wasn't too much prep time by either one of these guys. Um, what do, you, what do you think, guys? You ready for a spelling bee today? I'm all ready. Bring it on. All right. So we'll start with kind of some easy ones here. And what I have is four names in the top 100 I'm looking at. And I'll start with you, Spread. Let's, uh, let's have you spell the last name of um, Alja Tomjanovic. Oh, that's, that's a good one. All right. T-O-M-L-J-A-N. O-B-I-C. Correct. Very good. Did you get that one too, Jorge? I would agree. <laughs> All right. Let's I was hoping that L would get it. I know. It's the, it's the L and the O that's, that's tough. you got to remember to tap the L. So I think the J you always remember. All right. And that one for Jorge here. Let's have you spell the last name of Yulia Putintseva. Uh, P-U-T-I-N-T-S-E-V-A. Well, I was right. These ones were too easy. I should have gone a little deeper into the top 100, but we'll have, a, we'll have another round in just a second. So good job off to the start. You guys are doing much better than the actual professionals, so that's, <laughs> that, that, that should make you feel pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think. The two that I saw was Pavel Yuchenkova, and um, I'm not even sure how to spe- uh, pronounce Arabarena's name. Do you know how to pronounce her last name, uh, Jorge? Arabarena, yeah. it's uh, That's a tricky one, just with all the double letters in there. What do you think, Jorge? Can you spell that? Uh, I would go A R R U A B A R 
R E N A. Correct. That was that was pretty good. You got all the double R's. You got the U's in the middle. That's pretty fantastic. And what do you think, Sprague? Can you spell Pavlyuchenkova? P A V Y L. Ah. You flipped up the L and the Y, dude. Come on, you were so close. That's all you had to do is get through that. Well, I think my favorite player, Ostapenko, missed it too. So. That's, that's, that's true. That's true. So you guys have that in common, which I'm sure you're very excited about. Oh, and I forgot to mention, <laughs> congratulations on the newest member of the, of the Spread Astaire family, Dasha the Kitten. Yeah, I got a new kitten named Dasha, and um, Penko doesn't know her, and uh, true to real life, they do not like each other. <laughs> so we'll see how this budding rivalry goes in my house as well. Well, I'm excited for lots of updates and adorable videos of kittens playing with each other for our, for our, for our wonderful fans. So let's dive into some of the handicapping talk. I'll go first here. Um, you know, when I start to look at matches, I try to pull up the matches, matches as the week goes through. You know, as you guys know, we get together and do a preview pod of every single one of the tournaments. And as we're doing that, I start to try and look at the draw and think of different matches. But at the end of the day, my first step is actually to open up a book and start to look at lines. Take a look at every single player, see what, you know, who's favored, who's not, see what my initial reactions are. And then I have a, a database in an Excel sheet that is essentially a big data dump from tennisabstract.com. It's got every single tennis match. Um, I think it can go back basically as far as I want, but I actually look back only a couple years. It's tough from a, a data perspective to try and figure out what your time range is going to be, but you know, when you have a sport like this where um, it's a lot of play and, and, and you have a lot of sample size, you can, I think, you know, really only cut it down to the last year or so. So I only really ever go back like a year and a half or two years when I'm, I'm looking at my match data. And, you know, a lot of people that, that are more data-based handicappers like to look at points data. So points data being, you know, getting from 0 to 15, 15 to 30, 30 to 40, and looking at different situations, you know, whether you, you'd be serving and, and what, how your points go, whether you're returning and how your points are, um, you know, how, how many break points you generate and things like that. Uh, to be honest, that, that stuff is almost too complicated for me to understand and I think kind of a level too deep for me. So what I like to look at is the performance in terms of game spreads. So as a lot of you guys that handicap tennis know, you can bet on a player, say, to minus three and a half games, minus four games, minus four and a half. I take a look at every single match, and I have this you know big Excel sheet basically, and try to see how players uh, play on by surface, you know, by tournament, and and kind of on average from that game spread perspective. So, you know, for example, some of the better players like Simona Halep, Caroline Wozniacki, players like that win matches on average, say, by three three or four games. You know, so when you take all the wins and losses, put them together, um, even then they come out plus. Um, you know, your average player ends up kind of being around zero from that perspective, and you know your worst players kind of have have negatives. So I start kind of with that power ranking, um, take a look at those numbers, see what the difference is, and then you know at the end of the day, what's most important is pulling up the head-to-head -head matches and and taking a look back at that. But you know, circling back to the power rankings a little bit, I think people are a little deterred from the idea of using numbers because they're afraid of models. You know, one of my favorite things to say and jokes to make it work is, you know, what, is, what does everyone hate more than anything? Doing math. It's absolutely terrifying. Ever since you were a little kid, you were afraid of doing math, fractions. I know, you know, you always had people that were good at it, but, you know, even if you weren't, if you weren't one of those people, the people that were good at it were like stinking geniuses. Um, and I really don't think it's actually that hard. 
Um, you know, we have friends that are incredibly, incredibly smart and, and great at mathematics. Um, if you guys don't know the dual PhD, um, English and, and math, our friend Bo, who handicaps hockey, tennis, and, and MMA, um, just incredibly smart. I'm sure has one of the you know most well developed and interesting models that's out there. Um, but if you're not that good at math, it, it's you, you, there's a way you can and set things up, you know, say for example, you're, you know, an engineer who lives out somewhere near spread on, on the west coast and you really don't necessarily have any idea how to use Excel, but um, you know how to pull down some numbers and, and aggregate some things and um, if spread hasn't figured it out, I'm talking about our good friend Tennisbot, um, <laughs> who's asked me for quite a bit of help sort of putting his numbers together and, and I, I love helping him and doing it for some of his NBA stuff. Um, looking forward to putting together a, a tennis model. Um, sort of with him and his thoughts, but it's really not that hard. You just kind of get to get comfortable and, and find somebody who can try to help you out along the way. Um, one of the best parts about Twitter is, you know, we're all out there. And you know, if you have any questions, I'm happy to help. If you're lucky enough, you can reach out to Whale Capper, our wonderful friend. Uh, he's always been great about helping with questions around models and things like that. So I think it's good to have some sort of base level data to look at. Um, so, you know, I take that base level data, kind of look at the head to heads and then go back to the lines and try to see, um, you know, where I have value. So uh, I think that's pretty much my whole process, you know, besides reaching out to you, Jorge, and you spread and bugging you with my thoughts and having you talk me on and off things. Yeah, I think that's why uh, it works so well as a, as a group of three here is because I, I do think that spread and myself do kind of look into the matchup and, and, and stylistic tendencies of players. I mean, you're going to get some p young players who love to hit hard uh, and sometimes lack control and they get up against not a, necessarily a pusher, but a great defensive player. And they know they just have to wait it out, just get to the balls and wait out errors. And I think that can play into uh, more than just the math. But uh, I know we've had conversations a few times where um, you put forward some, some math stuff and I've loved to match up. And so we both kind of increase from a regular bet to a big bet and it's paid off so it's it's a nice little system and uh, it's why it's it's definitely worth following this pod uh, but for me i would i always look at the lines first and i wait till i see something that jumps out especially with the women um if you know your your players in the you know 75 to 200 range and you know the the young players that are really talented that uh, perhaps the average fan doesn't know much about but the the tennis journalists and, and bloggers and and you know the the stands or whatever they're calling these days the super fans are uh, are talking about a lot of times you'll find huge value when they're taking on say a, a player ranked in the 40 range um so so looking for underdogs is a big thing for me um I, i'm trying to get away from game spreads now because the women more than men without the the big serves tend to uh when a first set 6-2, you look like your minus two and a half is going to sail in and then they get bagged in the second. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and how many times that happened this year? I mean, That happened I so regularly. I'm trying to think, uh, spread, we had a reverse bagel sandwich at some point early in the year. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. Somebody won six, somebody lost a match 6-0, um, something like 4-6-0-6. So gives out the bagel in the first set, comes back and gets bageled in the third to lose the match and get any chance of doing anything blown up. It's unbelievable. The WTA is a mess. Oh, it 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 kills me with uh, <laughs> with those spreads sometimes. The one good thing is if they get bageled in the second, 
you know that you're not dead yet because they could very well come back and bag the other person in the third and cover the spread. But um, there's a lot that goes into handicapping the women. Uh, I find myself stronger in this regard. I think there's a lot more value to be had on underdogs. While at the same time, if you see a match where uh, you know a Simona Halep on clay is a 1.3 uh, oh, odds favorite against someone who has no business um, even being on the court with her. Those spreads of, you know, I think 1.3 be around four and a half. It'll be just on the other side of the key number of four. Mm-hmm. Um, that spread is a big bet for me. I mean, she's going to win that match one and two kind of deal, right? Um, the yeah, mental so- toughness of someone like Simona is also a big deal. Understanding, I think, understanding the players and then um, the, the surface. I like to look at uh, hold and break percentages. You can find them on Tennis Abstract for the women. You just can't search it in their search bar. You have to go to the URL bar, go to a man's profile first. This is key. You've got to delete his name and replace it with a woman's name. And then you can find, it'll bring you the same page as the men's. But if you just type it in their search bar on their site, they don't bring up hold break percentages or ace percentages or those kinds of things. So that's a kind of a little, a research hack for our listeners. Um, Tennis Abstract can be really good in that regard uh, if you if you know how to replace the URL instead of the search bar. That's really interesting because I've had that same problem in other ways. So like if I'm trying to search scores, Google's a really good way to pull up just like every match score for the day. But a lot of times if I search the tournament for the women, it won't come up. Whereas if I search the men, I can click right over to the women. So that that's interesting and that's um, you know, a really good little nugget there. So I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit more around, so you said you, you kind of open up the lines and, and you look for matchups, and one of the things you talked about was well-established players versus younger players, but what I'm always curious to hear from you guys is in terms of styles, what you look at. So I know you talk about power players, you talk about pushers, you know, I guess, you know, are those the only two styles? Is there a third or a fourth style there? And then how do you kind of compare those? Okay, well, I thought Jorge was going to jump in there. I'll jump in. Um, I like to basically just rate each player and their strengths and weaknesses. So I'm not just necessarily looking at aggression and pusher. Um, because, for example, uh, your favorite Sabalenka is a very aggressive player, but I don't rate her return very high. So against other big servers, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure I, I take that into account that she's really going to have a, a hard problem breaking. So... I really like to rate, you know, um, serve, return of serve, um, ground strokes, and then aggressiveness, and then what I call like all court because uh, the women don't come to the um, the net that often, but a lot of them will go ahead and and use a short ball and and get to the net and go ahead and put it away, and that's what I consider an all court game, and that would be someone like Jorge's favorite, Fidelina. I think does a very good job of it. I mean, I won't consider a net player, but she'll take the short ball. Um, you know, put it deep in the court and allow her just to hit the one volley winner, you know, like right into a wide open court. Um, so those are the things that I'm looking for as far as when I'm rating the players. And I also like to see how they deal with like um, depth and variety as well. Um, you know, and that will come into play when you're handicapping, you know, someone like a, a Sevastova. Um, you know, some of the players really struggle with her variety. Um, or some of the more experienced women will just eat it up. You know, you try and just junk ball them, they're just going to destroy you. So um, those are the things that I'm looking for. Yeah, let me jump in there too and add movement is a big is a big factor. I think uh, to Spread's point there, 
if you find a matchup where it's someone with variety, Sevastova is probably the kind of extreme of variety. She's probably the number one player, I'd say, on tour in terms of not just how much variety she has, but the quality of it. She she gives Sharapova fits. Now, does Sharapova have a bigger game? Yes. Does she have a better career? Yes. Is she probably the better player on the grand scale? Yes. But her lack of movement and the ability of Sevastova to, to move her side to side and drop shots and, and, and slices, which neutralize power. You try and overhit a slice, you're going to sail it, or you're going to commit an error, or you're going to net the ball. Um, and I think that's something where, at the U.S. Open a few years back, one of my favorite bets was Sevastova pre-match. She went down a set to, to Sharapova. I said, screw it. I'm going to hit her, I think, plus 250 or plus 300 live for another full unit. And she came back and won because you could just tell that Sharapova was struggling with her. And even though she has the better game that wins her a set, that kind of thing with, with a big hitter that doesn't move well, a player with variety uh, is going to to give them fits even if their their game isn't as strong. Yeah, yeah, I think another good example for that would be Ash Barty. I use that a lot when I'm handicapping her um, because some women will eat her little slice backhand alive and then other women just won't do anything with it but just push it right back. And when you get the women that don't want to attack her slice backhand, it just opens the court up so much for her to go ahead and attack when she wants and then just lay back and get that nice consistent slice backhand in. So um, I, style factors in a lot. Um and, and I, I think, think that it's interesting, interesting when, you know, you're using the numbers. And the funny thing is I was just assumed that the sports books were just doing a data dump like you were doing noobs because, I mean, you know, obviously someone can't just sit there and analyze these matches. These lines come out so fast, you know. Um, you know, usually, you know, at the end of a match, you'll have a lineup within an hour or two. So I don't know how many people they have making these lines, but I can't imagine there's that many. So I always assumed that they were just doing sort of a data dump. But when we started analyzing the numbers, because I wasn't running my own, I found out there was like a large discrepancy, um, which kind of made me wonder how they really are coming up with these lines. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And we'll dive into that in just a second. But let's go to round two of the spelling bee here. So now we have <laughs> women ranked from 100 to 200. My, my idea here being that, you know, as we get to the higher ranks there, names I think we're a little less used to seeing. So let's go Jorge first here since I made spread go first the last time. Jorge, if you would, please spell the last name for Natalia Vikulenseva, which I'm sure I bu butchered the pronunciation of. <laughs> the pronunciation B will be next. <laughs> V-I-K-H-L-Y-A-N-T-S-E-V-A. That's fantastic. I thought for sure wow. I'd get you there at I'll some point. That's well, okay, Spread, but now it's your turn. So if you would, please spell the last name of Valentina Grammatica Polo. Oh, I got no chance. I got it. V-R-A-M-M-I-T-A. <laughs> you All, right. Do All right, cool. now, actually, I'm going to make. Let me see if Jorge can get it. He, he sounded pretty confident. Right. G R A M M A T I K O P O L O U. No, you missed this. You missed the first U. It's P O U L O U. Come on. I do that all the time with Papadopoulos's and all that stuff. <laughs> Reek people. Uh, Jorge was, was kind of talking a little trash this week. He said he sounded like he was ready for this, so I was actually pretty happy to catch him up. To be oh. honest, I was pretty sure I'd get spread at some point, so I'm glad I got you both. <laughs> all right, well, let's dive back into the handicapping conversation a little bit because 
you guys were kind of talking about watching matches, and Jorge, I, I liked your story there about the live bet. You know, when you guys are watching matches, one of the things that's tough for me is I haven't really watched a lot of tennis. Um, I've barely played any tennis at all. So um, actually, I'd be curious to hear from both of you what kind of your tennis background is a little bit. Did you grow up watching? Did you grow up playing? Um, I'll kick it to you, Jorge, first. Did you, what's your uh, what's your connection with tennis? I uh, grew up playing it, summer camp every year, and then uh, a lot of more private lessons, and then uh, played in high school. So I always watched it when I was on TV. Tim Henman was the OG for me. Uh, I, I always loved Henman Hill at Wimbledon. And then as he got older, uh, James Blake was my favorite, the J block at the U.S. Open. I've always gravitated towards kind of... Uh, B really awesome loud fan bases kind of why i like duke right cameron crazy's growing up um so yeah those two were were class acts on the court off the court uh to this day both of them are uh skilled players both and both had really rabid uh supporters so i, I always gravitated towards them and then when i found out uh, when i was old enough to bet it i played a lot of poker and then a few years back i transitioned from poker to uh betting because online betting required a lot less driving and gas than going all the way across the city to a casino. Um, I, uh, I knew, you know, tennis was a strength of mine, so I was able to plug the knowledge in and kind of learn the, the value and the odds, and it, poker translated to, uh, to that, right? Same thing in poker. You're, you're comparing the odds to your chances of winning, and when you find that discrepancy, you kind of attack. Same thing here. When you you have a percentage that, that gives you an edge over the odds listed, you kind of attack it. So uh, I found my uh, my tennis background and knowledge kind of matched up well with my uh, poker uh, playing. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um, that's one of the things that I think people that, that don't gamble a lot or haven't gotten to kind of that, that level of possibly being good don't understand that, you know, you're not really just kind of picking who you think is going to win a match, right? You're evaluating implied probabilities of, of money lines, implied probabilities in, in terms of poker of, you know, whether you're going to get the cards you need and things. So it's interesting to hear you, hear you touch on those concepts and how they translate. I've never actually thought about that before. Exactly. So, yeah, so Spread, what's your background a little bit? I think you grew up playing too. Yeah, yep, I grew up playing. Uh, I was pretty much a year-round player. I Pretty early I decided I was going to do it. I remember I played on a soccer team and I got uh, mad on the way home when we had lost a game and I complained that my teammates weren't trying hard enough. And that My parents already played tennis, but that was definitely the inkling for them to, to really push me into tennis uh, full-time because if I lost, I could complain about my teammates on the way home. Um, and the other thing I noticed was that um, I wasn't the best athlete, and tennis was the most fundamental sport by far, and I could beat the better athletes that I grew up with um, just by having better fundamentals and by working harder. Um, so that was kind of what drew me to the sport. Of course, that's what limited me, you know, when I was trying to get to the higher levels was the athleticism. Um, you know, just running against some of the guys that really were top athletes that could have played, you know, basketball or football that were out on the tennis court. I really had a lot of problems with those guys. Um, but overall, uh, you know, enjoyed it. I played till I was in high school. I was really trying to go for a college scholarship, and I got this uh, this big racket called a Prince Thunderstick back then because I wanted to have a big serve. And it was just way too stiff, and it blew my elbow out, and I was too stubborn. And I, and I kept kind of like, you know, playing through the injury until it got to the point where I ended up missing my 
senior year, which I was, which out, I was out the whole year with tendonitis. And so, and so it kind of blew my chance for a, for a tennis scholarship. Um, but, yeah, but, yeah, I grew up, and then, and then I grew, obviously grew up watching. You've got to remember, things were different back then. Back then, we got four, three, three tournaments, tournaments on TV. We didn't, we didn't even get the Australian. Get the Australian. I, don't I don't think the Australian was on. You would get the French, you would get Wimbledon, and you get the U.S. Open. So that's the only tennis you can really watch. Even these Masters 1000s, like, I didn't really know about them when I was a kid. So... You know, I you know, pretty, pretty much watch, you know, the favorites. I kind of like, like Jorge, but maybe a little older. I kind of like the brash people. I remember being a fan of McEnroe. Um, I remember really enjoying Connor's run there in 87 or 89 when, you know, he was the older guy and he made a run. And uh, on the women's side, I liked Navratilova because I liked the coming to the net because that's kind of how I played. And uh, they served and volleyed a lot more back then. And uh, I really like both uh, Navratilova and McEnroe for their, their shot making at the net and kind of the touch. That, uh, that uh, because of because the advances, of the advances just in technology that a lot of these players don't have because the ball's just moving so fast you don't really have time for that. Uh, but yeah, that's, but yeah, that's pretty much my background. And then as far as me getting into gambling, gambling, you know, I got into the sports gambling and I was doing the normal like uh, baseball, football, basketball. And I remember uh, one day I was on vacation and uh, I'd bet on some NBA and I was waiting for it to come on and I wanted to gamble on something until then. So I just flipped over to the tennis channel. And, uh, you know, just started watching the matches and realized, like, wait, I've, I know what's going on here. You know, I actually know these sports better than I know basketball and football, especially football, you know. And I said, okay. And I uh, just started watching. And then, you know, as a tournament goes, it's pretty cool because you can watch two matches and then you know they're going to play the very next day. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was beginner's luck or I actually didn't know what I was doing, but I got off to a pretty hot so start. So I said, you know what, I'm going to start focusing on this. And and that's kind of where I am now. So I definitely enjoy tennis as my my number one sport to bet on. I bet on the other sports a lot still, but probably my wagers and my stakes and definitely my time I spent in preparation is the highest for tennis. So that's really interesting. You guys essentially both have the exact opposite experience. I mean, I grew up playing basketball. Um, you know, I watched a little bit of tennis with my dad. We used to like watching Andre Agassi because um, he used to get this ridiculous look on his face when he was about to lose a match. He, he would look kind of like confused and then lost. He looked like really squirrely. It was this, this odd look, and, and we used to like watching because we could always tell basically when he was going to start to go south. But uh, besides that, um, I didn't really find... I didn't really find tennis until um, really a bad year of gambling on football. Um, a few years ago, I started to keep track of how I was doing betting. Um, had a really good year in football. Of course, went back uh, the next season and, and doubled, tripled all my bets because I was a genius and I was going to make all this money betting on football. And after four weeks, I was, of course, not. Uh, so in an attempt to try to make some of that money back and, and scouring the Internet and attempt to find people that were actually um, any good at this, um, I found people like, again, our buddy Will Capper um, mm -hmm. and other people that were talking about football. And, you know, as the football season went on, I, I can't honestly remember whether I made that money back or how I did. But essentially what I did was become completely committed to the idea that making money at gambling was possible and that I liked doing it and that I wanted something to gamble on every day. And lo and behold, there's this beautiful sport. It's on basically every single week except for six weeks for the year. Um, it's on early in the morning from our time. You know, most of these matches are played in Europe. Some of them are played in Asia. So the time was pretty good for me as somebody that gets up early in the morning. And although I had not watched much tennis, I started watching matches and, and really enjoyed um, 
put, watching them, putting them together, started to look at some of the data things and, and started to see some inconsistencies and was lucky enough to find you guys and, and sort of put it all together here. So, um, you know, I think again, like Jorge, you were talking about, that's why it's kind of a good mix for all three of us here that um, you guys have all the perspective, frankly, and, you know, I couldn't really do this, do this without you guys. Um, you know, and at the same time, I can provide the outsider's perspective a little bit. So, you know, as two guys that have played tennis all your life, what I kind of like to hear, um, and we'll start with you, Spread, is when you're watching a match, um, what do you look for in players? So I know, Spread, you were talking about Ashley Barty specifically, and maybe you can expand on her a little bit, or you have um, another example you'd, you'd like to hit. But, you know, when you watch Ashley Barty play, when you watch someone play, um, what do you see that, that shows you someone of superior intelligence, someone that has a particularly maybe crafty game or, or that likes to do one thing versus the other? Uh, obviously, uh, I'm looking for a player. If I'm looking for, player, looking for intelligence, I'm looking for a player that attacks, you know, weaknesses. And um, one thing I do look for a lot, and I don't know how much this matters, I really uh, judge depth of ground strokes a lot. I remember, um, you know, when I did start, you know, when was that, like four years ago, I remember just thinking, like, Halep, like, I knew she was going to end up being pretty good. She wasn't as high then, but I just loved how close she was able to get to the baseline every time on the ground stroke it just looked how you know the coaches would want you to hit and practice you know you'd always want to get you know between that back quarter of the baseline and uh, uh basically you know the back quarter of the baseline is where you'd want all your shots to land as far as the depth goes and so one thing i look for a lot is depth i like to uh the use of spin and variety and uh, how much topspin they use, and how far they keep the depth. And then I'm also looking for, do they attack a mistake or do they just, you know, go ahead and hit it back? And I think that's one where, um, you know, some of these players that we label pushers have really improved. And the, the three that I'd, I'd like to mention, you know, as far as Grand Slam winners that are allowing to win Grand Slams, as far as just instead of being good players, were Halep, Kerber, and Wozniak. I think when they really made their steps forward is when they started attacking um, their opponent's mistakes rather than just, uh, you know, hitting the ball back. So uh, things I'm looking for a lot, I, I like to judge, you know, uh, first serve, uh, how attackable is the second serve because in the WTA, um, the, the second serve is almost the same advantage as the serve in the, man, in the men's game because uh, most women will be able to dictate the point just off the weakness of the second serve. And I look for depth and variety on the ground strokes. That's all really great stuff. Jorge, anything to add? You know, what do you look for? Yeah, I'm glad you went to uh, to this because I want to talk about live betting, especially a WTA podcast. It's uh, it's crucial that you that you always have the odds, or whether you're at work or wherever. Just if you have live betting accessible to you, it is key if you want to bet women's tennis. Because I look for a few things. One, um, if a favorite has is committing a lot of unforced errors, and I don't mean borderline unforced. I mean sitters into the net, sitters long, sitters wide. Um, if a favorite who's usually consistent is hitting a lot of errors and, and gets down a break in the first um, or loses the first set, that's a great spot for a live bet. Um, similarly, I like to look at if an underdog um, has a big, if they have a big serve and they're big hitters and they're committing very few unforced errors or their serve percentages through the roof. And I like to look at sustainability levels. Uh, in other words, is the way either player or both players, the way they're playing, is it sustainable? Um, I like, I enjoy good tennis and I enjoy watching it, but I'm also, that's probably about 25% of what I'm watching. The other 75% is tape studying. Uh, how sustainable is their play? If it's not very sustainable, um, I'm going to come in and I'm going to try and find a live spot uh, that 
that the odds dictate. And I think Spread is right uh, when he said earlier that a lot of this is data driven. Live bets are especially data driven. Um, you know, if it's 30 love, the odds, it's just purely the odds of getting broken go down to X percentage. Bet365 updates uh, their live page to uh, blah. So if they go down a break, and I know it's like Alina Svitolina or Simona Halla or someone like that, I will hammer the uh, Svitolina or Halla to win the first set or win the next game. Um, something like that. You can always get good odds on to break in the next game, and especially with good defensive players who might be off for a three-game stretch, but you know can turn around and win six in a row after that, reel off six straight. There's a lot of good live spots, and I think because we're WT-focused, um, when I'm watching a match, that's what I'm watching for is... Uh, some of the best spots to find a, a live better team. So when you talk about sustainability, um, what what do you mean by you know what, what kind of things do you look for you know as if someone's playing sort of above their above their level? Is it things like serve percentage, return right. percentage? No, mainly mainly first serve percentage. Um, that's a big one. If someone's serving at seventy percent uh, and they're a big hitter, uh, but they don't have much else to their game. Someone like a Luxa Kakumkum kind of deal. Mm-hmm. I can, I can, if they're playing uh, in a European hardcore tournament and they win the first set, but I check the stats and they're serving at an unreal uh, number against a good defensive player. Uh, you know, they're just hitting through a good defensive player. I'll probably either hit the other player to win the second set or just bet on the other player to win the match. I know that percentage is going to come down. And if it doesn't, I lose the bet, right? This is a long term game, not a big deal. But I will always play the long, the long-term advantage there. I think uh, you get the odds, you hit the second set or the the money line live. Um, very, no player is going to serve at seventy percent when they hit that big. If her unforced error count is way down, her winner to UE ratio is down. Um, someone like that who's never really cracked into the top ranks because of her inconsistency. I'm going to bank on her inconsistency coming through and shining through the rest of the match. And I'm willing to, again, risk something at plus money, uh, risk a unit or two, uh, to kind of play the odds and, and, and expect her to return or regress to me. Yeah, I think live betting, like you hit on earlier, is a really, really big opportunity in the WTA. If you're smart and you're sitting down watching matches, there's a lot of times where you can hit both sides at plus money and really do a great job of arbitraging. Um, you know, one of the ways that I look at live betting, what I like to do is, if I have someone that's maybe a favorite or an underdog I like before the match, um, if they come out and get broken early, it's just an absolutely wonderful way to get a better price. And, and a lot of times, even with underdogs, they come out to lose the first set. It's almost better just to wait for something like that to happen because they seem to get momentum after the, the favorite comes out, wins a little bit, and, and starts to calm down. So uh, I, I love that opportunity to go in and live bet. How about you, Spread? Do you hit a lot of live lines? No, I don't. I was actually going to commend you guys for having the uh, emotional temerity to do it. I great use of temerity. Watch a match. I'm way too emotional. I'll have a, I'll bet on a player and they'll they'll lose the first serve and they first game and they didn't even serve and I'm just sitting there going, oh, what a horrible bet by me, you know. Um, so I don't have it. I. Maybe, Maybe at some, some point in my life I'll be able to do that, that. but right, right now I think I do a good job of uh, pre-match analysis and then uh, I just kind of let it ride. Every once in a while I'll kind of do the same thing that you guys are talking about where I will double down on my pre-match analysis if my player gets behind, but I'm seeing things like uh, Jorge was talking about. 
like, like um, you know, you know missing easy shots and, and this and there. But some, I'm not, I'm not really that good at analyzing it, it uh, because, because sometimes when, when a person's missing those sitters and things like that, it just it crushes them mentally. You know, like I've seen a couple, you know, where it's a really hard fought match and and you know maybe five all, you know, and then a player, you know, on break point just misses the easiest match and you can just see him easiest shot and you can see him mentally fold. So. I don't, I don't do a lot of live betting. Maybe, maybe at some point I will develop the uh, the ability to do it. But as of right now, I'm just kind of trying to make pre-match reads, and then I just turn into a super fan for whoever I uh, whoever I back. That's a that's a good point. I mean, a Fabio Fanini versus a Rafael Nadal to recover a break. Very different scenario. <laughs> yeah. 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 Live betting, I I think it's it's tough, um, especially for someone who's not as used to watching tennis matches. But it just like you said, Jorge, I, I think that from a, a data perspective, those numbers are totally driven by historical percentages of matches, and there's a lot of opportunity if if you're sitting and watching something that you know um, there's something being mispriced, like you said, because again, they're just looking at some data-driven numbers. So always be sure if you're sitting getting committed enough to watch a match, you know, have the lines up next to you, look at them, see what you can find for value. So I think. Um, we're ready for round three, the final round of the Spelling Bee here today. Um, now these names, I went all the way to like the 200s and I have, let me just see, f I have five names here and I'm going to be nice because three of the five names, I'm going to be honest, I don't recognize at all. Um, I don't <laughs> think that I've seen him play a match this year, so I won't do that to you guys. But let's start with, with you, Spread. Um, why don't you spell the last name of Valentina Ivakenko? Ivakenko? Yep. Oh, I don't, oh, I don't know her either. I bet you're going to say Shevchenko when you said that. Um, I-V-A-K-E-N-K-O? No. I-V-A-K-H-N-E-N-K-O. I'm trying to remember. I think she, she must have played in something. That name was slightly familiar. So if, if I didn't give you that one spread, you were going to get uh, Pranjala Yadlap... Yeah, oh, God. Yadlapali? Oh well, this is a WTA podcast, not an ITF podcast. Yeah, but Polly, you know, she's ranked. She's in the top three hundred or so. You know that counts, I guess. Yeah, but Polly, just even Enko. The only reason why I saw her name this year is because she sunk one of my bets against. I think it was uh, like a Sofia Zhuk or one of those young Russian girls I had bet on. I was at my cottage, and I could barely get any cell service. And I'm sitting in the one spot in like the sun room where there's service while it was raining outside, just refreshing bet 365. And I was just so rattled because Ivanenko beat uh, one of the young Russian girls that I had backed on the spread. So I, I recognized her name. Um, yeah, uh, Yad, Yad Lapali just played in the uh, Asia-Pacific uh, wildcard tournament, the Indian girl. What do you think, Spread? Do you want to give that a shot? Or I'm sorry, Jorge, you want to give that a shot? Yeah, Y-A-D-L-A-P-A-L-L-I. Correct. I know it's well. I'll give you one more. I know we're all feeling really bad for you and your cottage and your cottage problems. You know, it's, it's <laughs> no Florida problems right now. Sunny, sunny true. and uh, eighty-something degrees, as y'all say in Fahrenheit, or I don't know how to calculate it. It's twenty-six <laughs> degrees to me, and that's beautiful. It was one of those dumb equations we had to learn at some point in second or third grade. It's, I forget exactly. It's the add or minus thirty-two. Who knows? I stick my head outside. It's hot or it's cold. Who gives a shit? <laughs> so why don't you spell the last name for? Uh, Barbara uh, Krejcikova. Uh, K-R-E-J-C-I-K-O-V-A. Wow, that's very impressive. I, I thought for sure you, we'd fumbly there. So I'm really glad that I got you earlier on, uh, what was it, Gretchen Mopolo. 
Yeah. <laughs> Greek people, I tell you. That's who it's terrible. All those vowels are just the longest names. Honest to God, when I go into my model and try to type in her name, I actually <laughs> almost go in and put her in every week so that way when I start to type, it just spits it out because I, I just I don't have it in me to type all those letters. So I think that's just about it, guys, unless you had anything else you wanted to add. No, I just wanted to get that live bet uh, point out, and I'm glad that uh, it, it segued perfectly into the uh, the flow of the podcast. <laughs> It's always good when those things happen. I'd like to be good enough to tell you I planned that, but uh, I'm not. So thank you, Jorge. Yeah, um, go ahead, Spread. I was going to say, I want to jump in. One other thing that I like to do um, when I am doing the handicap is I like to look for results of players that I would consider to be similar. You know, like, for example, if a player was going against Boozer and Escu, I would say, well, she played Sevastova before because, you know, I would say that's, you know, a comparable comp, you know, like... Um, you know, Sabalinka, Pliskova, you know, see how they handle a big server, um, things of that matter. So I think that being able to kind of categorize the players and then use those specific results when you can't find the head-to-head uh, will also help you uh, dramatically. And I also like to look at the level of competitions because I think sometimes in the quarterfinals and semifinals, you'll get really exploitable areas where, you know, maybe... Um, a couple top seeds showed up carrying an injury or just didn't play well or were more interested in the nightlife. And then uh, you have, you know, two players in the semis and one player looks really hot. Oh, boy, they've been playing really great. But uh, their path to the semis wasn't that really tough. Um, I think that's um, one thing, another area that I think is kind of exploitable. And then one thing that I learned uh, this year going through my results and everything is that, and I'm going to try and do a little more next year, is avoid the first round. <laughs> and avoid the finals. Yes. Especially when you've had a good tournament, you just feel like you need to bet the final. You know, you've been killing it all tournament. You know, you're up four or five units on the tournament. So you figure, oh, I got a good handle on this. But I did really poorly in finals <laughs> this year. So I think that, uh, you know, no, discretion is a better part of valor and knowing when to be a fan and when to be, a, uh, you know, a punter or a gambler or a better. Uh, is something that I'm going to work on in, in 2018, and I'm going to try. You, you know, in the, some of those matchups in the finals, if they were in the second or third round, and I had ten matches to choose from, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be betting on it. So I, I'm trying to get away from feeling compelled that I need to bet on finals. That's a that's a really good New Year's re- resolution, Brad. I know that you had a tough time see how I in, in first rounds. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's, I sometimes feel like I'm a bad influence because I talk you into this stuff sometimes because I can't <laughs> help myself. Um, but that that'll be a good resolution. And actually, I think that that's your first point there. That's some good homework maybe for uh, for yourself and the listeners. Let's see if we can maybe try to get together and put a list of similar players. So, like you said, you know, Pliskova and Sabalenka. Um, I'm drawing a blank actually on who you compared Buzarnescu to, but uh, that's right, Tavastava. So maybe we'll try to put together some lists like that and, you know, we can decide once we're done how valuable it is. Maybe we'll share it with the folks or not. How does that sound? Yeah, it sounds excellent. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Um, and Jorge, welcome back. It's, it's good to have you back. You know, what I did forget to ask you early on was, um, you know, growing up here in the United States, as far as I'm aware, Canadian politics essentially amount to a big competition to see who's the most polite. Is that correct? <laughs> uh, not if I have my ways. People can probably talk to my Twitter feed. I try and bring the conversation into the gutter and absolutely lambaste people because I hate the other side uh, and I find them stupid. So, you know. 
<laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I'm, gl I'm glad to find out that you know we were misled. Um, as you know, I, I, I am joking, guys. I do understand that Canada has a real political system and elections and all that. But um, you know, it's unfortunately down south of the border. We don't hear too much about what's going on up there. So it's good to know you're up there fighting a good fight. And hopefully, you had a, a, enjoyed it, and it was a good opportunity for you. Hey, we'll have to uh, we'll have to have tennis bot on because I know we've had discussions in our group chat about. Uh, how polar opposite we are. So those would be uh, fun little jabs when we talk tennis, maybe take a political jab or two. <laughs> I like that. I think that's a good idea. We'll have uh, the Jorge Argues with People series where we'll get John Joe on and you guys can talk soccer and, and, and whatever else. And we'll have you and Bot on and just kind of let you guys have at each other. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Ratings through the roof, gentlemen. Ratings <laughs> through the roof. <laughs> Well, thank you guys. It was really great talking to you both. And, um, you know, like, I, does anybody know how many more weeks we have before tennis? Is tennis coming any time in the next month or do I have Quali to really wait until January? Four weeks. Four weeks. Four weeks. Just thank about, God. No, qualies are uh, probably right after Christmas. Three and a half. Just under three and a half weeks. Even better. December 31st we start. The uh, regular draws. So. Ugh. Well, that's good. We'll have some actual tennis to talk about soon, but maybe we'll get one of those other sort of fun pods in between. So thank you guys, and thank you everybody for listening. Have a great week. Good luck in all your wages.